0: There we go, so, um, in preparing for this sermon, I was just thinking about how and i 've been reflecting a lot on the the way I spend my time in my life since my my time has become uh, severely limited lately, especially my free time i i 've gone from a fairly non structured you know s- small church pastor, church planter, open schedule can really spend a lot of time doing whatever I feel like God is leading me to do to now i 'm substitute teaching full time uh, and uh, be- when you substitute teaching long term it's it 's just like being a teacher except they pay you less money and um, you 're a lot more expendable and so uh, that 's kind of the situation i 'm in though I am teaching in a subject area that I know something about now i 'm actually teaching math instead of art, which you know me teaching art was hopefully not too painful for those kids but um, but uh, now I get to teach something I know what to do and, and have a little more structure. But being in the public school system, I've been thinking and reflecting about how I don't want to spend my life being part of something that doesn't help people. I don't want to spend my life being part of something uh, that has that got some kind of secret agenda behind it or in some way manipulative or secretly horrible. And I've just been thinking about the challenges of being in the public school system and and, you know, wanting to make a difference, wanting to really care for people, having some professional limitations about how much I can share about the things that really matter to me and all those things. And it it made me start thinking about some of the comments that I've been hearing, um, both from people in this church and just kind of generally about church and about how, you know, people are really kind of struggling. And there's this whole ex evangelical movement, you know, of lots of young people leaving church and 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 really, you know, all the statistics and kind of the the conventional wisdom says, you know, our, our country is becoming increasingly post-Christian. That, and that for many people, uh, they kind of have some questions, you know, maybe not even as much about Jesus, but about this organized religion. You know, hopefully, if you're hanging out here today, you understand that this is really not that organized. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, at the same time, you know, I've heard people who say that, th- that the current climate and just the, the water that we're swimming in today uh, has really just clouded their uh, people's minds, and, and I experience it too, with doubt, of just saying, you know, how do we reconcile so much loud support for a political figure who in many ways is the opposite of Jesus Christ? How do we reconcile that inconsistency? And that compromise, in order to gain some kind of political power or to gain some kind of social influence that the American church has made on a large scale, uh, has, has really caused a crisis of faith because that compromise is a complete lack of integrity. And I don't mean to point fingers at a at a, political, at a certain political identity, I think you can find examples of this on both sides. But the current and most uh, obvious example is, is what's going on uh, with the current president of our, of our country. And, and I think that it really just highlights that the church in America, and maybe the Vineyard Movement is part of this, has, has been very preoccupied with the question of what's cool or what's effective... Rather than what is good and true, and I find that I really struggle with um with that inconsistency and and it's it's to the point where people would say to me, you know that they're they're struggling with it too, uh, and I say, "Well, you know, have you ever experienced that in our church?" and they'd say, "No, you know I really haven't experienced that in our church, but I just I see it so much that it <laughs> It still makes me ask questions, and it's still I'm still struggling, even though I haven't seen it in in my own context and in my in my own church. And so, I think that there's a there's some hope, and and some good news when we look to the scriptures and when we see the foundations of what Christianity really is about, what the church is supposed to be. The good news is that God, throughout the ages, has renewed the church. God has called the church back to covenant faithfulness. God has called the church to question our own cultural assumptions and the water that we swim in and called us to a gospel and a, and a kingdom that is without borders, that is beyond uh, one place in time in history, that we are part of this, of this family of God that stretches back through the ages. And as we look back to the scriptures to find what Christ is really about and what he's really doing in the world, it provides a check to us and a, a point of inspiration and a, and a place where we can connect to what is really at the heart of the gospel, which is really good news. And it's all good. It's good all the way down. It's not good on the surface and like tricky with a hook underneath a little bit, it's actually good all the way down, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, in a a Christian community, in any Christian community, you're going to have some very imperfect people. And so if you hang out and you get to know me, you're going to find my warts. You're going to find my shortcomings. You're going to find that I am really just a mortal man, quite sinful um, like anyone else. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is such that He's able to work with sinful people. He's able to transform sinful people into holy people and transform them into the kind of lives that believe and hope and try despite all the odds. And that's what we find here kind of really at the beginning of what we might start to call Christianity in this passage in Acts chapter 11. Uh, And so... As we turn to the scriptures, I just want to ask God to speak to us, to speak new life into us, and to renew our hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you just pray with me, if you will? God, I just ask that as we look to your word, that we wouldn't just treat this like a book or like an article on the internet, but that we would hear your voice, that you would speak to us that we could understand what you're calling us to do and who you're calling us to be and renew our love for you and our commitment and our allegiance to you above every other identity, above every other citizenship or any other marker we could put on ourselves. God, let us be marked with the marks of Christ and call us to yourself today, Jesus. We ask this in your name. So let's look at Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 19. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Now, what's interesting here is if if you recall, we've kind of been going through Acts, so you might remember like maybe three or four, maybe even five weeks ago, we were back in, in chapter 7, and we, we hear the story and we read the story of the first Christian martyr, Stephen, Uh, he gets a lot of airtime in Acts, and this kind of becomes, he becomes a type in the pattern of Jesus that really to follow Christ is to put yourself into a place where you experience marginalization, where you experience solidarity with the poor and with those who are powerless and even embrace some of their suffering as your own and open yourself up to a life that looks like our crucified Lord who didn't survive the power structures of this world. Well, I mean, he didn't survive them initially, but then he overcame them, right, uh, through the power of God and in his resurrection, right? So, But we see this pattern at work where the church is being persecuted, and as it's being persecuted, it grows. As it's being uh, marginalized, as it's being abused, the power of God shows up in amazing ways, and even as people are being stoned or jailed or killed for choosing to continue to follow the way that challenges every human power structure, uh, they are spreading throughout the world and We start to see God work outside of just the Jewish community where this movement started. We see the conversion of Cornelius in Chapter Ten, and then kind of the acceptance of the of the Jewish leadership of the church in Chapter eleven of this movement spreading beyond the boundaries of Judaism and the old covenant um, of the law and all of that tradition and all of that heritage, uh, we see that uh, the movement of God is even bigger than that, and it's starting to include others. And so that's kind of where we pick up in this story. So those who had been scattered by persecution traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. But some of them, however men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. We see that as the church embraces this goodness, as they are excited about what God is doing, as they are truly moved by the good things that they see, you know, it's natural to share good news. You see a cool movie, you want to tell people about it, right? If you win $100 in some raffle, you're excited. Hey, guess what? I won $100 at the community raffle or whatever. Or, or if you get a raise, that's, you want to share that with people. It's natural to be excited and share the good news in our lives. And I think that oftentimes we get confused and think that evangelism is a sales strategy when really it's saying, hey, I experienced this. God did this for me. I was at church, and I was worshiping, and he spoke to my heart, and he refreshed me and restored me and made me whole in some ways that I was broken, and I want to share what I have with you, if that would be okay with you, if you'll allow me. And so they began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And I think it's notable here that God was at work in this situation, expanding the church, and, and working kind of around people's slowness to accept that this is bigger than Judaism. This is bigger than the Old Covenant as we've understood it. Like, Jesus really, truly is a game changer. Everything works differently, after his death and resurrection. This is a new deal. This is you know, a continuation of the things that we expected but, and a fulfillment of all this prophecy, but now it works differently. And, and I, just, I saw that great little meme floating around on the internet. Every now and then, the Lord's grace extends to social media and you get something good out of it, right? Yeah. And so and, and just, I thought it was so saliently put. It said, you know, when God called you, he factored in your stupidity. And I just found that so comforting. I was just like, oh, thank God, you know? Like, I'm I'm not too broken to use, you know, you know? Because God is so good, he factors in people's slowness to understand what should be true through, if you read the prophets, if you read Jonah, if you read Moses, if you read back even to Abraham's call to be, you know, a people who will, who will be as numerous as the stars, and that all nations will be blessed through him. You know, we should get it, but we're slow, and so, you know, God factors that in. He's already at work in the church in Jerusalem by the time that they hear about this thing happening in Antioch. And so, news of, the, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to go support and check out what was going on there. And so when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And I just, that's the most what I want. I want a great number of people to be brought to the Lord. And I frankly don't care if it results in, you know, a full-time salary for me or, or a you know, a church with many amenities and benefits and big, powerful, like, I just want a great number of people to come to the Lord. And I think that's something that we should pray for and notice. This is at the heart of what these people are doing. And so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And remember, when Saul kind of gets his radical conversion, they, like, they can't find a place for him because... He goes from being persecutor to persecuted. And so because he has so many connections in Jerusalem and everyone knows who he was, he was one of the people who was rounding up the Christians and putting them in jail and maybe even participating at least passively in stoning them to death. Uh, They had to to get him out of Jerusalem because it wasn't safe for him because now all his, his old buddies and all his old cronies that were busting up the church were coming after him and so they sent him off to Tarsus because uh, he could kind of hide out there. Well, so Barnabas, being the one who you know was the f- one of the first people to accept Saul, who became Paul, who then later wrote like a third of the New Testament, into the Christian movement, he goes and says, hey, this is a place where Paul can plug in. This is a place where he can serve. This is a place where he can give and serve in his gifts. And so he goes and he gets Saul from Tarsus and brings him to this thing that's happening in Antioch. Uh, That's beautiful uh, as the church begins to expand beyond its borders. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians, or Christians, first at Antioch. And during this time, some of the prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And this happened during the reign of Claudius. Uh, The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. And so I just want to go back a couple slides here and notice that the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And I think what's significant here is that you know Antioch is one of the first examples where we have a a truly blended church that isn't primarily Jewish in its identity. Though we un- we see a lot of different Jewish people coming to Christ at the Day of Pentecost and all kinds of languages being spoken, every kind of person, every kind of tribe, at least that was Jewish, being in town for the festival. Um, we see that diversity represented there. But Antioch is really kind of a new thing, a new example of people who had no Jewish identity, no Jewish background, no context for understanding Jesus as the, as the Messiah King prophesied in the Jewish prophets. But people outside of that tradition are starting to come in. They're starting to be part of the Christian community. And so now we can't describe this as, you know, uh, as this Jewish sect anymore. We have to find a new name to describe this movement And the name that they come up with is Christians. They come up with Christians because it's the thing that defines these people is that they are, they're gaga and crazy about, not about their tradition, not about their national identity or their ethnic identity, not about their own language, not about their family culture, or I think even you know, their gender, the thing that they're crazy about, the thing that they're the most loyal to and that they are really being changed by is the story of this Christ, this Jesus person. And so I just think it's important for us, particularly in our current cultural context, particularly in Springfield, Missouri, to understand that Christianity and Christians are not an ethnic group. And I'm just grieved, and I believe that the Holy Spirit is grieved that the phrase, white evangelicalism, is even a thing. I just think that's wrong. And I just think that God calls us to more. I, I, and I know that you know, we're in a context that is overwhelmingly white, right? And we're probably not going to be a, a church that's going to be much more diverse than its context, but I hope that will at least be as diverse as our context. I hope that will be a community that represents the kingdom of God in all of its beautiful, uh, just diversity and 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 power in the the uniquely created and and uniquely beautiful voices that God has put on the earth, if you will. To be a Christian is. It, is, it, it calls us beyond our borders. It calls us beyond our comfortable places. It calls us to listen to people who offend us. It calls us to get in touch with our privilege. It calls us to be challenged by voices that we naturally disagree with. And I just want our church to be that kind of place. I think that's really important. I don't think this is a side project of the gospel. I don't think it's like come to Jesus and then, you know, like be diverse and do reconciliation if you have time on the side and those extra resources. I think this is in the middle of the gospel. I think this is core to what it means to know the Lord. It's that we we are abandoned, we die to those identities that, that pre- prevent us in all the ways from fully embracing Jesus' identity and fully embracing a Christian, Christian perspective of the world. And I think that reconciliation is right in the middle of the gospel message from the beginning. I think it's so important, and I think we have to challenge ourselves, our assumptions, and our understanding of what Christianity is in light of the truth of Scripture and make sure that everybody gets to play. This is a value in the vineyard movement, and we say this a lot, and we really believe this, that every person, every human being, has something unique to offer the service of the kingdom. That every person has been given gifts and experience, even pain, even suffering, that uniquely qualify them to serve God's mission on earth. Everyone gets to play. There's no part of this thing that isn't available to a believer in Jesus Christ. And we have a pastor, we have a leadership structure, we but those things are those are for functional purposes. Those aren't saying that one person is special and nobody else has anything to offer. I, I've just been so encouraged that as I've been so busy teaching in a public school and doing subbing that i 've kind of been forced to get out of the way, and we 've like come together as a church and risen to the occasion like i 've just seen people step up and serve and come in to fill in the gaps that i 've just had to drop and i 'm so blessed and encouraged by every person starting to really serve and be part of this thing in a way that 's just a lot more powerful than if I do everything, and I just love you guys and i 'm so encouraged that we're really becoming a body again, that we're really becoming a people who love each other and support each other in in a deeper way. And I'm not trying to insult our past. I, I think we've always kind of been there for each other, but I, just, I feel like God is doing something and, and calling us to level up and to become more of a team, to become more of a people who rely on each other, who make and keep commitments to each other even when it's costly, and I just am so encouraged and blessed by the way that people have stepped up to serve in this community. It's such a good thing. The kids ministry is rocking because people are giving to that and who are, are serving faithfully in that. We've got all kinds of good things going on. The outreach we did with um, between the haunted houses a few weeks ago, fantastic. We just need to see more of that. The way people are giving and we're able to fund things like the seed grant that are buying snacks for the snack cart and a new community garden at that elementary school. All of that is a team effort, and it takes all of us together moving in the right direction. And I'm just so encouraged and blessed to be part of a community that is doing this, that's really reaching out in love to our neighbors. And everybody has a role to play, and we need everybody. I really feel that these days. And I'm grateful to see the work of God in our community to make that happen. Thank you. Another piece of good news that I think we see in this in this uh, in this passage of scripture is just that God forms his character in us in community. We really see that in Barnabas right he's kind of a this is like his little fifteen minutes of fame in the Bible if you will. We see this character who's kind of Always on the sideline. He's the one who brings Paul in. And he doesn't really seem to be all that powerful in terms of, like, his ability to argue. You know, he only gets a couple lines. He didn't write most of the New Testament. He's, He's kind of a minor character again, right? But he's instrumental. Like, would Saul have been welcomed into the church without Barnabas saying, Hey, I believe this guy. I think he's for real. And, and would the church in Antioch have, have gone to the next level, would it have become the, the, the missionary-sending force that it was in the Mediterranean world, and, uh, after which many churches today are still named, if it hadn't have been for Barnabas going and getting Saul, recognizing his gifts, encouraging him and building him up, and saying, hey, come be part of this thing. This is a place where you can serve. This is a place where you can get plugged in. This is a place where you can give what God has deposited in you away to the benefit of others. That really, as we embrace community and as we come in, God begins to form his character in us. He begins to transform us and make us into different people. And it's in this community that Saul becomes Paul that he begins to really transform and and become a different person as God works in his heart, as God is at work in this community. When God forms our character, we become the kind of people who can change things, who can have an impact on others, and who can bring light into dark places in the world. He forms his character in average people, in unspecial people, and makes them what he makes them. And his, and his grace is good and at work. And so when we talk about this next thing, when we talk about prophecy, and when we talk about healing, what, what we're saying in this church and what we really believe is that everybody gets to play with this stuff too, right? Everybody gets to play at all the levels, right? That God is at work in every human heart, and we really believe that everybody can learn to hear God's voice and to share that with others. Now, in this story, we read that a couple of particularly gifted people that they called, you know, oh, that guy's just that person is a prophet, right? Everybody's going to have different ability levels. Everybody's going to have different, you know, willingness to submit to those things and to practice those things and to grow in those things. But we we just think that everybody can grow and everybody can take a step closer to God and everybody can learn to really discern and hear God's voice in prayer and then to share those things. Powerfully and prophetically uh, to help the church, and so the the last little piece of good news that I really want us to glean from this passage today is that God speaks. And we see that all throughout Acts. Every everything that happens in the book of Acts, God starts and then people kind of, oh, we probably should do something about that. And kind of respond, you know, the Lord is at work and then people respond. The Holy Spirit gets poured out, and then we have to explain what happened. And so Peter gets up and preaches, and then a bunch of people come to God, and then God is at work in the church, and then there's persecution, and they have to respond. And like, the Lord directs all the steps. He's the one who speaks to Peter and sends an angel to Cornelius to really get things going across cultures and across, um, across you know, family identities and all those things. God is the one that drives this whole thing. And he continues to speak. And he continues to speak to us, both through the word and through prayer. And so, you know, we talk a lot about... <laughs> Keeping the, keeping the train on the rails, keeping the fire in the fireplace. We want to be consistent with what's come before us. We take this book really seriously. This is our authority. But something that John Wimber said that I still believe is that this is the menu, not the meal. This describes to us what we experience when we come to God in prayer. That if you will, the word of God is sitting at the right hand of God, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. Jesus himself is the word of God. This describes what he's like and, and makes sure that we don't mistake him when he comes or mistake somebody else for his authority. And so the word of God is living and active. It cuts through our hearts. When we read the scriptures, we hear his voice, and when we pray and we listen to him, we hear his voice, and God speaks. God speaks to the church in Jerusalem and says, Hey, there's a famine coming. And that's the Holy Spirit at work in the church. And so the believers get to work, right? They get to work saving. They get to work um, practicing austerity and, and being you know, a little bit ascetic in their lifestyle and, and limiting themselves so that they have extra to share so that they can be the people who stand in the gap, who, who find those places of brokenness and who are able to help themselves and, and, and the believers in other cities, and also provide for their communities, to fill in those gaps, to fill in those places of pain, and to be there in a way that is prophetic, that provides. It rings of Joseph in, 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 in Genesis, finding a way to provide grain for uh, the famine that spread throughout the Mediterranean world at that time. and and it's, it's just God continuing that story, continuing those echoes of the way he works in history. And I was really encouraged a, a couple of weeks ago. Now, I guess maybe it's, I can't, I, I have no concept of time. I'm so underwater with work and everything. I just, I don't know when things are happening. But, but a while ago, maybe, I guess it was probably about six weeks ago. Wow, that was, that was a while. Uh, I got to go to a uh, pastor's retreat um with a bunch of other vineyard pastors up at some retreat center in iowa it was really nice uh, david stark's church in, in st louis paid for me and kara to go and it was great and uh steve nicholson was there steve was like friends with john wimber and um, you know goes way back in the vineyard and has kind of a spooky prophetic gifting you know he, don't don't let him look in your eyes unless you want him to tell you the deep dark secrets of your soul he's like just really really gifted really hears from the lord um really cool guy um Also, like the biggest dweeb ever, like just such an unimpressive, not cool man. But uh, really, really wonderful to talk to if you ever get a chance. Uh, And something that he said really rang true to me, and I found to be really encouraging. He said that you know, as he kind of travels around because he's kind of in demand in the vineyard anyway, and he he travels around, he travels the vineyard churches all over the place. He said, you know, one thing I notice in every vineyard church is that there's at least a group of people, if not the whole church. That is drawn to the most needy, dark, desperate place in their city, and I just think about that when I think about where our building is located, and I think about the things that I hear that people are dealing with and, and that are that our natural inclinations are drawn to you know i just I, I remember people telling me, you know, hey, I just really feel like God is is calling me and maybe our church at some point to get involved in some kind of minister to, ministry to prisoners. So I've been, I've been going and I've been hanging out with this guy and, and just visiting him in prison. I'm like, that's, that's amazing, that's awesome. Or I hear people saying, you know, oh, I, I heard about this CASA volunteer thing and it, you know, all these kids are kind of just stuck in the system and they, just, they don't have anybody that is consistent, so I'm going to volunteer and be part of that. And I just, wow, you know, that's amazing. That's incredible and so many so many people are involved in education or or just in your job you're kind of the person who's responsible for the trouble people on your team or whatever like i just think that this has been something that has been true about the character of our church and maybe we often punch above our weight class like we often get into situations where it's greater than really what we have to offer but but we go in with faith and kind of this unreasonable hope this this lost cause saint jude kind of i'm going to i'm going to stick with this thing even if it's impossible even if i won't be ultimately successful and seeing everything that i hope for i'm going to stick with this lost cause and go for it with faith that god will provide and in the hope that i can do some good and i just have seen that over and over and over again in the character of this church, and, in, and we see that in this, in this passage of Scripture too. That the, the people, when they hear the voice of God, it's not just the voice of God hoping for wealth and health and power, but it's the voice of God saying, Go to the broken places, go prepare for the famine, and feed the hungry people. Get ready with the power of God to go and serve in places of darkness and pain with the hope and the love of Christ, willing to live a Christ-shaped life as you go there. And I just have been so encouraged by seeing that happen in this community, and I hope that it will continue. And I pray that it will. And I believe that God wants it to. All right, so what can we do in response to this? How do we kind of continue in this path? How do we continue in this pattern? One thing I think that we could do that's real practical, fairly easy, pretty low shelf, uh, is just reach out to a brother or sister in Christ this week. Like if you know somebody who's kind of struggling or hurting or maybe dealing with some questions with their faith or, you know, in some way needs, just needs some community and encouragement, just send that person a text. Maybe you can think of somebody right now. Maybe just uh, you, go ahead, text in church, whatever. You know, like just reach out to that person and, and try to connect with them. Ask them how you can pray for them. Say, could I, could I pray for you right now? How can I pray for you? And, and do the stuff. Like, really do the stuff that the church does. Like, pray for them expecting God to do something and, and encourage that person. If you feel like God is speaking to you and giving you a word for them, maybe share that with them. Just say, hey, you know, I was thinking about you and I was asking God, what would he say to you? Uh, this kind of came to mind. Does that make any sense to you? And see what God does. In that, in that conversation. Just reach out to a brother or sister in Christ and encourage them. You know, I would, and I would encourage you to think of people maybe you haven't seen for a while or maybe that you know are struggling and really be there for them and just encourage them with the blessings that you yourselves have received from God. And then if you're really feeling like, man, yeah, that was good. I want, I want more of that maybe invite somebody who's outside of faith into that kind of a community. And not with an agenda to like, hey, we're going we're gonna to close the deal today. We're going to really push hard. We're going to, you know, whatever we do, we're going to really, you know, force this person with logic and whatever, you know, trying to make something happen. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm all for zeal. I'm, I'm, not for, um, I'm not for conversion by force. But if you, if you know somebody who's kind of outside faith, maybe just invite them to spend some time with some people that you love who you know will be able to love that person, who you know will be able to embrace that person and, and care for their soul and listen to them. And, and if you feel moved and, and you know what to do, say, hey, well, man, that's got to be tough. Could we pray for you? Maybe God will help you with that. Could we just, could we just ask God to help you with that? And see what God does. See what the Holy Spirit will do living inside you as you just enjoy the company of that person you love as a believer in Jesus Christ, being consistent with who you know God to be. Those are kind of the, the things to try this week. And we're actually going to try to practice them now, too. So, would you stand? So um, now is the time that we take to pray for each other. And uh, the way this works is uh, just during this last song, if you want prayer, uh, we don't want to force prayer on you, but if you want prayer, uh, you, you step forward. and Kind of come stand up here or, or maybe over here if you're more comfortable with that. Uh, but you, you kind of step forward. Uh, and that will be the signal to let people know, oh, this person wants prayer. And then somebody we've trained to not be any more weird than Jesus uh will just come and put their hand on your shoulder and ask you in total confidence, hey, how can I pray for you? Uh, and you tell them what you want prayer for, and that person will pray. And here's what will happen. Uh, God will, like, heal you physically or spiritually or emotionally um, but in all kinds of ways and in powerful ways and because that's who he is and that's what he does. Uh, and we'll take whatever we get and we'll be grateful for whatever he does as we pray. Uh, Just a couple of things that you might be thinking of, um, or that may may have gotten stirred up. Uh, If you just need some encouragement today, if you're like, man, you know, I'm tired. This is hard. Following Jesus is actually not as easy as I want it to be. Um, And you just want God to encourage you? Man, uh, come up, get prayer. I think that'd be great. Uh, I also think maybe um, more than one of us might be dealing with some physical health issues and are feeling kind of sick. Uh, I know I'm still kind of struggling with it. I got the lingering cough happening. Uh, if, if you just want prayer for any kind of physical healing, um, maybe also especially a right elbow. I don't know. That's just popping into my mind right now. I hope that hits. Uh, we'll see. You know, if not, the kingdom of God is also not yet. We'll just we'll just deal with it. Um, but if uh, if you need any kind of prayer for physical healing, come up get prayer for that. Um, and then also. If you just want to be a person of integrity, and you have any kind of concerns about your ability to do that um, as a believer in Jesus, I feel like God just wants to help deal with those concerns and bring you to a place uh, where you can have deeper and more integrity. I believe that he has that to give you as a gift in spite of our own lack of integrity. I believe that's available to everyone today. Um, that grace, that forgiveness, and that empowerment to grow and change. So if any of that uh, applies, uh, or if you literally want prayer for any reason, just come up during this next song, and we'll pray for you. That's it.